Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cecil's Unknown Achievers. Uh, this podcast is all about those hardworking entrepreneurs that you've never heard of. Today's guest op- entrepreneur is involved in a number of different endeavors. She provides marketing and event planning services. She runs a nonprofit called Evanston Present and Future. She spearheaded the city of Evanston's first celebration of the now federal and Illinois state holiday for Juneteenth. She leads the Reparations Ambassador Program, which is a program that seeks to raise funds and educate people about reparations. And she runs another business called Mari and Mari Inclusive Talent. So please welcome to Cecil's Unknown Achievers, Kimone Hendricks. Hello, everyone. Thank, Thank you so you much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. Well, uh, we've got a little to unpack here, so let's get started. Uh, briefly, just uh, tell us who is Kimon Hendricks and what are you all about? Well, I'm still fully unpacking the who is Kimon Hendricks, right? And I think we all are when it comes to the overall, you know, arching of, you know, what we want to do and become in our lives. Um, but a little bit about me. Um, I was born in Jamaica. I came to America when I was around five years old and we came to the Chicagoland area and then we moved to Evanston, Illinois. And I've kind of lived in Evanston um, ever since for my whole life. And I, you know, this, this part of my Am I still, I think I'm frozen, aren't I? No, you're fine. Oh, okay. Okay. So you were frozen. Sorry. It's just mine. Um, so a big part of my story that I like to tell people um, is that, you know, I don't have a college degree. Um, I didn't graduate college and it has shaped my endeavors and shaped me to become who I am today in a positive way. Um, You know, I had my daughter, my first child, when I was 16 years old um, in high school. And as you can imagine, there were a lot of struggles that came with that. Um, Through those struggles, though, is what encouraged me to become an entrepreneur, what encouraged me to want to give back to other teen parents, what encouraged me to want to become a better person and not just become a better person, but share the wealth of knowledge that I learned throughout my life, through the obstacles, through you know everything that was thrown at me throughout my journey, I learned a lot. You know uh, that's how I learn. I have um, you know I learned through experiences, through doing things, and you know getting data um, sure. of sorts. So I started my businesses um, through that lens of wanting to give back, but at the same time, create something that my children will be proud of and something that my children would um, be able to learn from themselves um, and create a a legacy for them too. And so I'll let you kind of take it from here because I could talk for a very long time. (laughs) That's quite all right. That's what we're here for. So the, the, the early on challenges that that you had in your life clearly shaped the types of work that you're doing now. And it, it's evident in the, the the types of businesses that you're involved in and and what I've read about you. 
it 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 seems that definitely was uh, the precursor to giving you the uh, the the impetus to 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 have the drive to do what you do right now. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. Yes. So what what did you do professionally before you were starting before you started these these various endeavors? So I worked, I worked um, for a very long time for a big corporation. I'm not going to say the name, um, but it's a big, well-known corporation. <laughs> I worked for them um, for, you know, a little over eight years and climbed that corporate ladder. And, you know, it was through that where, you know, I felt what I called uh, sort of divine discontentment. I knew that there was more that I could be doing. I had excelled at such a fast rate in, you know, that company. And there was just something brewing inside of me that, you know, this is not it for me. You know, there, there, there is so many untapped talents that I know that I have within myself that I need to be able to explore freely and kind of like burst out of this box that I felt that I was put into. Um, and so I did that for a while and then I just kind of had this moment where I was just like, you know, I'm done with this. And I kind of launched my, um, what's called Mari enterprise, which is an events and marketing company. I, I can go a little bit deeper into that because it's specific types of events and specific types of marketing. But when I started this company, the overarching theme within me was that it was going to be built off of my talents, something that I know that I can do because I didn't have capital. I didn't have a whole bunch of money. All I had was what was in my heart, yeah. what I knew that I could do. All I had was me. So I used that and I started my company and I literally just built it from the ground up with, you know, my hands and, so forth and the other endeavors that I did. So it's, it's interesting that that is a, a very common theme among folks who start businesses is that they're working for a, a company, a corporation, and they have some level of uh, uh, discomfort where they, they know maybe they're being unutilized and that's what drives them to do their own thing. What was there? Uh, was there one particular event uh, that you know? Sometimes you hear people are passed over for a promotion that they felt they were due. Uh, was there was there something that happened or that didn't happen that kind of gave you the I'm doing this now? Yeah, actually, it did have to do with being passed over for a promotion. It, it mm -hmm. absolutely did. It was something that I had worked really hard for. I was, you know, I, you know, was going along, getting promoted. I got to this point in um, the company and things started to change. And I saw the, you know, I got overlooked for the promotion. I just saw the route the company was going. And I stopped and thought to myself, there's no way in hell I'm going to start over. I worked so hard to get here and for me to not get that promotion and that role that I know very much so 
I more than deserve and I'm being told to do something like, you know, that whole song and dance. I thought to myself, there's no way in hell. I'm no, <laughs> it's not you like, you know what I mean? It's like when you work so hard, I'm not going to go backwards. I'm not going to go backwards. So that is, so you're absolutely right. It definitely did have something to do with um, not getting a promotion along with, you know, other, I think there were other things that were kind of like leading up to that. And I, you know, I remember at certain points going into work, just literally dreading it. And I had never felt like that at work. When I used to go to work for that company, I would be so energetic. I was happy. I was inspired. Like it was everything for years. So when I started to feel like, oh my God, why am I here? That was like huge for me, right? Because everyone that knew me knew that that job was just everything for, for me, right? And so it, it what, when I started to feel those feelings of like, I need to leave. I hate being here that I've never felt before. I knew something was brewing. Sure. So, so the, you're, you're feeling, you know, you had a, some records of success, some promotions, but then it got to a point where you felt you couldn't go any further or right. be allowed to go any further. And you're thinking, you know, I got to utilize my talent somehow. So there's that period that I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs about where they're they're thinking about it and then they go from just thinking about it to pulling the trigger and uh, notifying, giving your two weeks notice and saying I'm leaving or just leave. What t Tell us about what was going on in your mind at the time when you were, you know, maybe had one foot out the door. You didn't clearly know exactly what the future held, but you knew where you were wasn't the future. So what, what was what was going on in your mind at that, that time? You mean like once I had already left? Well, or... no, but like kind of prior to your left where you might have had just one foot out the door, you're thinking about it. What what made you pull the trigger and just say, look, I'm I'm going. This is it. Um I mean on top of not getting the you know the promotion and feeling stuck. I just knew within my heart of hearts that I was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I knew that better was out there for me. And I knew how to get better. And really, I was following my intuition, my gut feeling. And I, it was just something I couldn't ignore. I can't really put it into words. There wasn't, you know, any other situations that happened besides what I kind of explained, and I just pulled the trigger. I think I lost your audio. Are you uh, hearing me? Are you, can you hear me still? Can you hear me now? Now I do, yes. Okay, yeah. Little there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are the things that was going through my head, but it, I, I, I felt when I started to plan to leave and do all of that and, you know, as much as I could plan, right? Because there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, you know, that I, that's when I started to actually feel happy and hopeful mm -hmm. and I started getting excited and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, and to be honest with you, I didn't share this with anybody. You know, I didn't share. Smart thing. 
<laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, you know, I was, I was, you know, following my intuition. And a part of that was not to share my thoughts and feelings with anyone. I mean, nobody knew what was going on with me, what was going through my head. I think they all assumed that I had another job lined up. I did my two week notice. I did my two week notice. And um, they just assumed Kamon got a better job and Kamon. Now I was like, nope, <laughs> like in my head, you know, and that's just kind of, you know, how it started. And I don't know if I got the part, but I was like, don't try this at home. But it's kind of like, yes, you do. But no, because it's like, it's not easy. It has, if you're not getting that gut, you know, um, to, to do something like that, without having, you know, because I didn't really have like the major proper thing set up where one would be like, oh, I have all this money and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I didn't have all of those ducks in a row. I had some of them, but it's like most people would have been like, no, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Don't do that. Like, no, you know, so if you're not having that gut, you know, that divine discontentment, don't just do it because it's like, oh, everyone's an entrepreneur now. You know, everybody's doing it. It's not for everybody. I never knew I even wanted to be an entrepreneur until that time. I thought I was going to work a nine to five for the rest of my life. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And I was happy doing that at that time. And then this happened. You mentioned that uh, phrase divine discontentment a couple of times. What, what does that mean to you? So, you know, the divine discontentment and discontentment, and while I've had multiple, you know, strikes of what I call divine discontentment, I, discontentment, I, I didn't know that word at that time. So in a nutshell, it's kind of having this feeling that you are unhappy with whatever it is or something specific that's going in all in your life it could be with work it could be in a relationship it could be you know your living situation whatever it is it's a specific part of your life where god puts it into your mind that you are extremely unhappy with your situation and there's something that you need to do about it immediately and when you get divine discontentment, this is this this specific thing is what makes it divine discontentment is that you do and you make that change fast. Like right. that's how that's how it feels, right? Because a lot of people have been unhappy with certain things in their life, and like you know, you might plan it out and you you know try to change it and you work on it. But when you get this divine discontentment. It's like you make this huge decision in your life because you are just so unhappy with whatever it is. You are at your wit's end, whatever it is, and you make this sudden change or this sudden decision in your life to improve it. And it's always something to improve. Um, you, you make that decision, you make it rapidly, and you make it fast. That's what divine discontentment is. Yeah, and that that's uh, that wasn't going to be stopped. <laughs> so right, exactly. It, it's not going to be stopped. And like after it's over, you look back, you're like, "Wow, I can't even believe I did that," but I'm happy I did. Right? Like that's the feeling. It's like, "Oh my God, I can't believe I really just did that." <laughs> right. So I know you you said the 
you didn't want to necessarily mention your previous employer, which is absolutely fine. But tell us about uh, the the skills that you were able to pick up and the, the expertise that you were able to gain that were able to be transferred into what you're doing now. So part of the um, job had a huge customer service component. Um, it was working face to face with the um, with the community, with the population. Um, and another huge part of that were, were sales. Um, you know, there was a sales aspect and there was a customer service aspect when it came to the job. As with, I think, a lot of jobs, but this was like a really, you know, face-to-face, you know, customers in and out, keep going. And in order to do well in this job, you, um, you know, even with sales, right, you have to be able to sell something to someone in a way where it doesn't sound like you're selling it to them, right? That's really the trick. That's really the trick to sales, right? And it's like in sales, there's a really gut-wrenching thing. You gotta be able to stomach it, right? It wasn't all of the job, but it was some of it, right? And um, building relationships um, was another part of it, building relationships and also being able to work in a team um, in a work environment with managers and, and things of that nature. So, you know, I went, when I went into that job, it was almost like I discovered an unknown talent of mine. And that unknown talent was that ability to connect with anybody, race, creed, color, age, it doesn't matter what it was. I would connect with people and I would be selling them things without me knowing I'm selling them things because I really actually cared about what I was doing. And so, you know what I mean? So it was so very natural to me that I like rapidly, you know, went up in that company, like very fast. I like went past people that had been working in my position that I got hired at for years. And people were like, whoa, like what is going on? And of course, if you're in a manager position and seeing someone like me, it's like, oh my God, this person could make my life very easily. If I have to meet a certain quota or my job, depending on customers being happy, you know, this person has this uncanny ability to make my customers happy. So that's what kind of um, got me promoted so fast. And it also made me realize that, oh my God, I didn't even know that I had this ability to connect with people, not know, like, you know what I mean? So that was something that I was able to take with me when it went to, you know, starting my own business and things of that nature. Well, you're, you're technically still in a sales uh, role and interpersonal relationships are clearly still a part of that. So that that clearly is something that you you developed while you were at the company and you're mm-hmm. using it to its fullest extent right now. You know, something I uh, saw on your website too that caught my eye was uh, words that you use to describe yourself uh, as a servant leader, generalist, critical thinker, spiritual being. I'm going to pick one of those. What, what does that mean to you to be a servant leader? Because some people would say those two terms are contradictory. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And um, so 
for me, because I think first and foremost, to define what a leader is, I think that should come from the person, right? And I think that when it comes to labels and labeling yourself, you should be the one that um, defines what that is and accepts or denies them and things of that nature. Um, but a servant leader is someone that leads, but also serves, <laughs> right? So it's being in a certain position as a leader, like let's say you've been given this role as a manager or a leader at whatever job it may be, right? Um, or you run your own company, but you have employees or volunteers that work for you. You, within that leadership role, you put at the forefront the people who work for you. It's like when you come into work, you're like, oh, let me make sure I bring cupcakes to everyone to make sure that they're happy or let me, you know, so it's, so it's like, you know, cause you have some leaders who are dictators and, you know, things of that nature. There's different, like, you know, characteristics, I would say, I guess, as a leader, right. so a servant leader is someone who enjoys helping people, but also happen to be a leader, most likely unbeknownst to them, maybe, you know, like it's kind of been, they've been labeled as a leader through the things that they do, but they also enjoy serving. They also enjoy helping people. They also enjoy giving back. Like, it's not like a task for them or something that they hate. It's like, there's something that that's within them that they enjoy doing. And um, so, yeah, so that's kind of like what a servant do you think, leader is. Do you think it's tough for folks in leadership positions to have that servanthood as, as part of their uh, part of their work or part of what they do? Is it a challenge you think? Um, I think it's, um, I think it can be a challenge and I think it's also a matter of balance, right? And it's also a matter of work styles, you know, how you get along with people, who are getting to know the people that you are working with and do you expect them to serve you? Cause some leaders, some, some of those, you know, leadership roles are set up like that where your team serves you, you know, you don't serve your team. And so I guess it's just the dynamic of what has been set up. You know, I don't think being a servant leader per se is you know some type of holier than thou initiative mm -hmm. like you know what i'm saying it's just it just is what it is and i think though it is needed in certain roles more so than others that i think a lot of people need to dive deeper into when they are picking leaders or hiring or things of that nature right it's like what type of leadership do i want in this position because everyone can excel at you know a job or a role or becoming an entrepreneur but not everyone are good leaders and that's not really a good or bad thing you know you may not want to even be a leader you just want to maybe just work and do your thing and make money or whatever it is and you know you don't want to be a leader or whatever it may be but i think servant leadership is you know something that i think probably would do better in certain environments more than others. I think, you know, the, uh, I have a, one of my brothers is a motivational speaker and he 
talks about leadership quite a bit in, in companies, uh, in the military, which is he's in the military. But one of the things that he talks about is the effectiveness of leaders is determined in large part by their ability to get out of their subordinates, so to speak, what mm -hmm. they need. And a lot of times that is driven by the the leader or boss's ability to serve those who are supposedly under him. Yeah. Uh, and we've we both you've had bosses, I've had bosses and we've had good bosses and bad bosses. But my uh, recollection of, of the good ones are the ones that take a genuine interest in me and they they in a sense serve me and serve yeah. my needs which in turn drives me to help meet their goals so yeah. it's all a a great cycle to be on uh conversely mm -hmm. with bad bosses the opposite happens <laughs> they're looking just to serve their own interests and it creates these little uh camps that uh don't really serve the, the organizations well or definitely not the individuals involved either yeah and i love what your brother said because that is similar to one of the things that i say when people like ask me about like leadership and stuff is like uh, uh you know you're being a good leader when let's say you don't know the answer to something you can get it from your team your team knows the answer when you don't know the answer to something and you know that really like you know resonates with me and I think another thing that really, you know, helped me throughout the corporate world and working in jobs is being adaptable, right? I've had some what I would consider good bosses, bad bosses based on how I like to work. But at the end of the day, I was extremely adaptable. I don't think any one of my bosses knew or thought that I didn't think they were a good boss because I just adapted to everything that was thrown at me like so i could work under any type of boss style and still exceed because i am adaptable and that adaptability is uh, hugely important as as a skill that an entrepreneur should have exactly exactly so let's uh let's jump into talking about your your various endeavors and I, i'm gonna start with the one that made me or that i caught uh, that was uh, apparent to me when I first uh, learned about you was the mm -hmm. uh, the Juneteenth celebration in Evanston. So how did that start and how did it get going to, to what it is now? So, yes. So I found out about Juneteenth um, just a few years ago. I believe it was in uh, 2018. And I found out about it through a friend. And I was so let like, me, let me get you to pause for a minute. I never actually knew what that was until just a few years ago, because I don't ever yeah. recall in school that being part of any Black History Month education, anything. So yeah, exactly. Not, unlike probably a lot of people who didn't know what that was exactly exactly and that's what it was it was not it was juneteenth was a huge part of history that was left out of textbooks right we we're taught it was the emancipation proclamation um and then all the enslaved people were free and that's it 
Like that's what's in the textbook. There's nothing about Juneteenth in the textbooks. So when I found out about it, it was like, oh my God, like how is it that there's this thing, this time in history, and it's not huge in, you know, my community where I live. I think, you know, Juneteenth was huge in Texas where it happened. And, you know, I think other states celebrated Juneteenth in a large scale, but where I live, you know, Juneteenth, you know, wasn't, you know, on the scale that I thought it would be. So mm -hmm. that is what inspired me to start organizing and planning Juneteenth events. The first Juneteenth event that I planned was a celebration and um, it, was a, it was a big success. And that's kind of what led to everyone in the community um, also being inspired about it. So the next year I planned um, a parade, um, which was, you know, I had to turn it into a virtual parade because it was being planned in the middle of the pandemic. Right. Um, I was planning it to be an in-person parade, then boom, the pandemic happened. And then boom, I switched it to virtual, which I think I did one of the first big virtual events in my community because that was the time where everyone kind of like didn't know what to do. They're like, uh, everything's being canceled. And I saw everything being canceled. And I thought in my head, there's no way in hell I'm canceling Juneteenth. It's not happening. We can find a way. We can find a way to still make it happen. So I did. And that was great. And then, you know, Juneteenth so far after that, I did a lot of different Juneteenth activities. I did pop-up shops, just like a whole slew of different Juneteenth theme, themed things. And then, of course, you know, we all know it just became the federal holiday. And um, yeah, so that was kind of it in a nutshell. So in the beginning, when you had that idea to to do this, what what sort of challenges were you were you facing? Because you're doing something that hasn't been done before. Yeah. What uh, what um, kind of struggles did you face, if any? Well, I think, you know, the main part is when you're, you know, organizing and event planning around something as sensitive as Juneteenth, a lot of thought needs to go into it. And I knew that right away. Like, this is not just a regular event that you just throw on and people just come to and that's it. A lot of details, a lot of thoughts, a lot of, you know, meaningful, um, well, that, that was kind of my, you know, thought process. Like it needs mm -hmm. to be meaningful. And it also needs to include everyone because I know for sure, if I didn't know what Juneteenth was, there's a whole lot of people that don't know what Juneteenth is, right? Sure. And so I would say, I guess one of the challenges were finding a way to bring everyone together, race, creed, age, whatever it may be, bring everyone together, but still in a sensitive way where it's honoring the black community, honoring what Juneteenth is, honoring its legacy, and um, still being able to celebrate in a way, right? It was like this whole balance, you know, how do you celebrate the ending of slavery? Yeah, you can celebrate it, but it shouldn't have happened in the first place. And then, oh, you're inviting white people to it. White people are part of the problem. But hey, if we want to fix the problem and move forward, like, you know, so I had to take all of those variables together and create an event where everyone would be proud to attend. And um, that was the main challenge. 
that I believe I successfully um, fixed and um, took it with me throughout the rest of the Juneteenth um, events. So you you were you had to pivot during the pandemic to make this a virtual event. I mean, that how, how did that work? I mean, you, that that had to be a serious undertaking. Yeah, it was a serious undertake. And um, so as I went through planning it, and then the pandemic happened, there was a lot of passings and tragedies within the community. And, you know, when I saw everything being canceled, I thought to myself, there has to be a way to still make this happen on a virtual um, virtual level. You know, I had never planned a virtual event, but I started researching. Um, I saw that, you know, there were other different types of virtual parades that had happened before. Mm -hmm. um, and I just started doing my research on how that would even look like, right? I would need people to do pre-recorded things, upload it. But first and foremost, I would need someone that's tech savvy <laughs> to pull this off. And that's not me. I am not tech savvy. Like I need someone who's able to record and, you know, upload it. And we streamed it to YouTube and Facebook. And it, it was just so amazing. And then, you know, I just sat there I was like, God, I really need someone that is like really good on the technical side that can really pull this, pull this um, together with me. Sure. Then ah, I got a phone call from someone in the community who wanting to help me pull this together. And um, what I did was I started putting it out there on the internet and on my Facebook and social media that I still wanted Juneteenth to happen, that I wanted to be a virtual. I kind of just put it out there and see. And then, so I got a partner who was able to help record and do all that streaming and all that technical stuff. And what we created was a two hour magnificent Juneteenth, virtual Juneteenth parade that had performances. It was just amazing. We had speakers, we had people sending in stuff from um, their homes, pre-recordings. We had, it, it was just amazing. It was amazing. I was like running all over the place, <laughs> recording people. And then we also um, coordinated like a food pickup so people can like order their food the day of Juneteenth and come home and eat while they're watching the parade and kind of take their own pictures and take selfies. So it was a lot. It was a, planning something virtual is way more work <laughs> than planning something um, in person. So well, I especially think that since was, you got short notice to do it too. So. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And you know, in my mind, and this is what um, a lot of, um, this is what I tell a lot of my clients, is that, you know, depending on the type of event that you're planning, you want to not only remain ad adaptable, but, you know, be able to, in your mind, foresee any pivots that may be needed. And, you know, at the beginning of the planning, there wasn't any COVID talk. But as soon as COVID start talk started to happen, before everything was canceled, I had already started researching. I had already had it in my heart and my mind that no matter what got canceled Juneteenth was not going to be canceled because it's way too important and I felt that the community needed this that the community needed something uplifting um to carry us through this horrible time that we were going through and um it was it was amazing 
So you you mentioned uh, your help. You got assistance with the the tech for this. Mm-hmm. How, how important is it to have when you're when you're an entrepreneur to have a a support system, whether it's emotional or 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 actual technology or whatever expertise you don't necessarily have. How how important is it to have people that you can rely on to handle those things that you directly can't? Um, well, you know, of course, it's extremely important. But is that always the perfect situation? No, that has not always been the perfect situation. And, it, and it's hard to get people that you can rely on. You know, it's hard to find your tribe and people that have your back and people that like, even if they are able to fill a need that you um, that you that you need um, to pull something off or, you know, within your company, you know, are they going to be reliable? Are there are they going to be able to um, see it through? And, you know, personally, for me, I've had to, you know, do a lot of things on my own research, a lot of things on my own, and kind of, you know, been able to outsource and find people on the fly that can help and um you know so what's what's your advice i'm sorry what's your advice for folks who they don't have a tribe or they don't have a team but they need what how do they go about getting those resources so that they can do what they are are feeling they they should be doing so I would say a lot of networking events, um, join your uh, local chamber. You, I had to get very social, you know, talkative, get out there, you know, email people, ask to buy them a cup of coffee, to talk with them. It's a lot of, you know. You don't seem focus. like you've ever had trouble talking, so I, I don't wait. <laughs> <laughs> you see? Yeah, it, it gets, you know, it, it can get tiresome sometimes, yeah, right? One of the things is that everyone has their own thing going on, right? So to be able to find someone that believes in what you do and um, it's equally beneficial to, I guess, like, you know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. is it, it takes a lot of relationship building in time but there's you know nowadays there are so many um different websites out there you guys that you can hire someone on a fly to do those things that either you don't know how to do or maybe you just don't even like to do them because there's some stuff that i don't like to do that i would you know hire someone else to do because i don't like to do it you know i would like to do other (laughs) other things so there's a lot of websites there's a lot like you know being an entrepreneur nowadays there's people that have their nine to five, but they also have these side gigs that they offer on a temporary basis. And like, yes, you know, it might not be, you know, long-term, but still it fills your short-term need until you can find your tribe and build that solid, you know, foundation. So I would say that's definitely like the way to go um, outside of like going to a lot of networking events and meeting people and talking and seeing where it goes. But if you have a temporary need that needs to be filled, go to these websites. There's a lot of really great websites that um, people list what they can do and you hire them at an affordable price and you fill your need. That's great. What, what's, uh, what's next year's Juneteenth celebration going to look like? What Anything new or what are, what are the Well, the I plans? can't tell you. I know you people. can't tell me all the secrets now. <laughs> 
there are some things being done, um, I'm sure. Yeah, and you know, I always aim to make um, the next year different and, you know, most importantly, bigger. You know, I always want to make Juneteenth bigger than it was the last year. So that is, you know, always my goal. We look forward to that. <laughs> so next, um, uh, another one of your pursuits, uh, Evanston, present and future. So mm -hmm. a lot of things involved in that, uh, under that umbrella, the, the teen parent program, uh, funding for education or entrepreneurship, uh, the ambassador reparations ambassador program. Tell us about, uh, Evanston present and future. Yes. So Evanston Present and Future was a, it, it is a nonprofit organization that I started. Um, and it was started based off of a dream that I had when I was a teenager, after I had gave birth to my daughter, and I was kind of like going through different things in the community. Um, and I always felt as though there was more that the community could do for teen parents. And um, at that early age, I always wanted to start some type of organization that would give back to teen parents. And a lot of it would be based on the support that's giving to the teens. Because within my community um, specifically, what I found was there was a lot of services for the babies of the teen parents, but not the teen parents themselves. I personally went through a lot of people telling me I would never finish high school. I would never become anything. Um, I should just forget about myself and focus on my baby only. Like, you know, just the most horrible things that a teen girl could ever want to hear in that situation. So my teen parent program, and I, you know, I like this is literally something I would dream about at night as at that age, not even getting the support I needed, but thinking about how I could start something sure. so other teen parents wouldn't have to go through because you know it's nobody wants to be a teen parent. Nobody wants to tell their kid to be it. It's it's one of those taboo things, the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. But it happens. So when it does happen, what is in place that um, these teen parents know that they still have a prosperous life ahead of them and they should still find a way to fulfill their goals because at the end of the day, you can give the baby, the, the baby, the, uh, the child, everything that it needs, but if the mother and the parents aren't okay, that's gonna trickle down to the child. You know, so this is how you break generational curses. Just because someone had a bad experience, like whether it be teen pregnancy or whatever it is at an early age, it doesn't mean that their life is over. How you break general, generational curses is you build and you pour into and you uplift the, um, the teen parent so that that knowledge then trickles down to the baby. It's, it's, not, it's all energetic. So if you're not you know, supporting this teen um, in the way where they're able to be teens and parents, um, then that's a problem. So that's the foundation of um, my teen parent program. And- um, What are some of the things that you do for, in support of the-, the, the So uh, it, one, one of the main components is one-on-one -on -one mentorship. So these teens have someone that they are able to connect with and talk to and get help on a personal level 
um, with whatever it is that they're going on in life, right? And each team parent is different. You know, some team parents have parents at home that, you know, they can rely on. Some pa team parents don't. Some team parents have the child's father in their life. Some team parent does and doesn't, right? So we really individualize each plan of action for each team parent because each team parent is not the same. So right. they, you know, there's a survey that goes into it where, you know, they talk about their life and what their needs are and most importantly, what their goals are, right? What, what college do you want to go to? These are things that weren't talked about with me. You know, nobody asked me what college I wanted to go to. They didn't even think I'm going to finish high school. Right. right. So it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What are your passions? Like planting those seeds now and having someone that they can talk to on a one-to-one -one basis that, you know, shows that they are cared about and things of that nature. So to do all these things, obviously fundraising has to be yeah. uh, a part of it. So yep. what sort of things are, are you doing to get notice about the programs that are being offered and, and getting the funds required to to fund these things well that's you know one of the the biggest you know obstacles is like getting funding and getting people to support this program because i think a, a lot of people think that they have something that are helping teen parents and and it's when you look at it it's just something that helps the child right so i have to talk to a lot of people about what's missing and unfortunately some people don't like to hear that right there are different services out there and programs that says that they're helping teen parents and it, it's not like my program there's this big gap in it so um i talk to a lot of people and really i think partnership is one of the um the main uh components to this is why there's like you know filling out grants and doing all of those things that's needed to get funding. But that's one of the biggest obstacles because nobody really wants to talk about teen parents. Nobody, like, you know what I mean? It's not like Juneteenth where everyone is like, oh, Juneteenth, right? I really have to, um, I struggle a lot with getting people to see my point of view and really invest in this program. So there's still some sort of, uh, like they're almost shunned, I guess, that- uh, Yeah. They've had a child in, in their teenage years and the the focus seems, as you found, to be just on the child and not not the young lady yeah. who is taking care of the child. So yes. lifting her up will lift up the child as well. That, exactly. That's what you're trying to do. Yeah. What's um the 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 other part of what I, I learned about you that you do is the uh, uh, event planning, which is something mm -hmm. you're clearly skilled at in the, the business or the part of the business called Celebrations Reimagined, which obviously Juneteenth fits into that. But there's some event planning services and an interesting thing that you have that's uh, membership based as well. Uh, mm -hmm. tell, tell us about that. Yeah, so I'm actually in the middle of kind of revamping that right now. So Mari Enterprise, um, we do consulting, event planning, and marketing. We do direct services or we do consulting um, when it comes to other people's businesses, organizations, and things of that nature. Um, 
you know, we are, you know, the lead, the leaders in the market when it comes to diversity and inclusion of event planning and um, people who are wanting to um, have meetings and um, conferences and rallies and activism and how to really pull that all together. Um, so those are a lot of the different clients that um, I get. Um, a lot of people also reach out to uh, me to just market their event, right? How do you market um, something? You might have already have an event planned, but how do you market it, right? How do you um, get it in front of the right audience? How do you get people to come? How do you get, how do you brand your messaging so it's attractive on social media and things of that nature? So we help um, with all of that. And I also do consulting if somebody wants to hire me for the hour and just kind of pick my brain on a specific topic or things like that um, or one of my team members um, they can do that as well um, so celebrate the, how does the subscription-based uh, component tie into that so basically I have created a month-to-month uh, -month, uh, event planning tools and uh, marketing tips that have been spread out throughout the month so I'm actually in the middle of revamping it so people who subscribe will get monthly updates on our different event planning tools and uh, marketing tools that get updated every month so it's kind of like apple so i go in and i update it um so so the part that i'm kind of revamping is you would first purchase the um the starter kit and the starter kit would include multiple event planning tools, multiple marketing tools, along with the email offer we have and things of that nature. What comes with that starter kit, you get a year subscription, free, free subscription to the updates. After the okay. year, you have to pay monthly. Okay. Um, so you get all of the updates. You get, also get access to like edu educational content that I've created um that you can use for your own event if you're planning a juneteenth event or um maybe another racially sensitive event or things of that nature um get access to that you also get um for subscribing you also get you know my consulting hours at a reduced rate as well if you're a subscriber and um it really just gets keeps people updated on the new technology and the new information when it comes to event planning and making sure that your event is planned right the first time. So you're you're doing a little bit more than uh, what I would call a traditional event planner then. Yeah, it is. A, it has the marketing component to it. Yeah. And it, it's a little bit more and it's a little. So I do normal events, but really I specialize, like I said, in, you know, events that are um, you know, racially sensitive, cultural events, things of that nature, um, even fundraisers. If you anything that you want a a diversity and inclusion involved in your event. All right. So we, we've kind of gone through a lot of the things that you do and, you know, how you started. Um, I always like to have some uh, element of education and I've asked you your advice on something, too. But what would you say you've learned uh, that you could pass on to budding entrepreneurs about your process, uh, maybe some things that you did very well or some things that you wish you didn't have, wouldn't have done or some things that you would change? Uh, any, any advice that you would offer in terms of how to start? Hmm. Um, 
Well, I would say if you are in my shoes where you don't have the capital or the money to just go and like, you know, start this company and hire people and get it off the ground, start small. Start with something only you can do. Find out what your hidden talents are and start building your company from there. Because at that point, you're only in charge of paying yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And you're all you have, like you have your energy, you have your heart, you have your soul, start with something only you can do and apply that, play it up, build it up. And then, you know, try to integrate other people and outsource and things of that nature. Should I just quit my job and just start doing my thing if I've got a great idea? (laughs) Well, you know, like I said, if you're not having the gut, if you can do both, then do both. Right. If you are able to, you know, work a specific type of job and also do that, why not? Right. But it it really depends. I think it it gets to a certain point where you can't. And I think it really depends on the individual. But, um, you know, I would say if you're not getting the gut feeling to do that, then don't. (laughs) You know, I don't want to be in charge of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, clearly we're not saying uh, quit your job right now. But, right. You know, not right now. Be uh, be smart about the decision. Exactly. Absolutely. So you, you, got a, you got a lot on your plate. You're doing a lot of things. How do you kick back and relax and chill? What, uh, oh, what do you do when you just don't want to have to do business anymore? Well, you know, I, you know, like to take care of myself, like self care stuff, but really when it comes to certain aspects of my business, I really enjoy doing it. (laughs) So I will have to like stop myself because like, I'll just keep going, going, going and don't take any breaks. And like, you know, and I think that's also part of being an entrepreneur, right? It's like, you're, there's not really, you know, many kickbacks you know, breaks per se, but then, you know, at certain times I don't really, you know, feel like it's work, you know, I'm having fun depending on, you know, what the task is and, you know, things of that nature. But I like to do a lot of self-care stuff and just take care of myself, make sure, you know, um, you know, my kids are okay. I have a daughter, she's in Texas right now. She goes to um, TSU, this is her second year of college. Um, so I have a college student calling me and, you know, and my son, he's in high school here, but they're both big kids. So I do have a lot of time, but it's like, you know, I don't, sometimes I do have to make myself stop because it is work and <laughs> it's yeah. a challenge that that's, that's yeah. for sure. But, exactly. uh, you know, you, you don't, uh, want to run yourself into the ground and, yeah effective for your business at that point too. exactly very true so as we close out uh what what would you say is some big uh things that people should know about you and what you're doing and maybe how they can come alongside and, and assist you in what you're doing Yeah, well, um, please, anyone that is interested in nonprofit work, I'm definitely in need of new board members, people who want to be really involved in an organization 
and make an impact in the community. I am looking for you. Um, anyone that's interested in helping to plan the Juneteenth event, there's always um, work to be done on Juneteenth. Um, if you are an artist or um, anything creative in that sense, if you want to be a part of the Juneteenth celebrations um, that I do throughout June, um, or any creative aspects, please reach out to me as well. Um, if you yourself are an activist or want to plan an event in your community, reach out to me as well. I'm here to help. Um, so yeah, I'm. I did multiple. Um, Go ahead and give uh, your contact info. Yeah, so my website is www.camonehendricks.com. Um, you can email me at evanstonpresentandfuture at gmail.com, or you can email me at mari.marienterprise at gmail.com. Or you can also just go to my website and fill out the contact form as well. Thanks for joining me for my chat with Kimone Hendricks. She's definitely giving back to the community and living out her mission of being a servant leader. Be sure to reach out to her and support her numerous causes. Until next time, this is Cecil Archbold Jr. with Cecil's Unknown Achievers.